Michigan throttles Western Michigan in the big house. My thoughts on the game. We'll go around the Big Ten, hand out some three, four, and five stars, answer your questions, preview the game this weekend against SMU, and we remember 9-11. It's all coming up next on Hail to the Pod. Hail to the pod where we talk all things Michigan football, Big Ten, and national on the college football landscape. I'm your host, Kevin Rich. As always, you can interact with the show, send in your questions, and I'll answer them. The email, hail to the pod at gmail.com. And look, I don't need to spell hail for you because if you're a Michigan fan, you probably know how to spell hail by now. And if you don't, you're probably in the wrong place listening to the wrong pod. <laughs> You can always hit me up on Twitter as well, at krich23. Now, before we get into last week's game, Tuesday this week, which is actually the night of this recording, marks the 17th year anniversary of the tragic events of 9-11, a day that we will never forget. You know, we all remember where we were the days leading up to and the day of the tragic terrorist attacks that really shook our nation. And every year on 9-11, I find myself reflecting on that day, as I know many of you do as well. It's crazy to think, you know, I was actually on a plane two days prior to the terrorist attacks. You know, you think of the last time you flew where you didn't have to worry about going through security the way that we do now and the things you can bring and not bring on a plane and having air marshals on the airplane and all that. Two days prior to the terrorist attacks, my dad and I were on an airplane traveling home from Seattle where we actually uh, were at a Michigan game the day before that, uh, where Michigan lost a tight game to the Washington Huskies in Seattle. And as I sat in a classroom as a junior, uh, two days afterwards in high school, watching a small television in class with my classmates, just in utter shock and, and disbelief uh, as we watched a second plane hit the Twin Towers, the feeling was just surreal it was it was unbelievable like what what is happening you know and i reflect back and i was fortunate to not personally know anyone directly that lost their life that day you know but sadly i know it's not the case for many and uh living in upstate new york now and going to college at syracuse you know i've come across so many folks over the years that directly had someone they know perish on that fateful day and this isn't meant to be a political commentary this isn't republican versus democrat All I'm saying is on 9-11, of all days, it truly is a day to remember. It's a day to reflect and a day to never forget those whose lives were sacrificed. All right, hard to transition away from that, but we'll transition the easiest way we know how, which of course is talking Michigan football and the first team uh, actually that Michigan played After those tragic events on 9-11 in 2001, the Western Michigan Broncos, they beat them that day, and Michigan flat out dominates Western Michigan in the big house 49-3 this past Saturday. Now look, it's hard to not overreact, (laughs) right? After week one, there was a lot of overreaction regarding Michigan football after that loss to Notre Dame. The O-line is terrible. Shea Patterson isn't the guy we thought he was. The defense, what was up with that? Giving up big plays and penalties, blah, blah, blah. So, of course, the immediate overreaction after this game would be, yes, 
The offensive line was dominant. The running game was great. Shea Patterson was exactly what we thought he would be. He's the hero for U of M. The defense was great. Notre Dame was just a fluke, right? (laughs) I mean, let's chill for a moment. Michigan did exactly what they needed to do against an inferior opponent. They went out on Saturday and they dominated. And it's hard to not overreact about it because we probably assume that the offense isn't going to be as bad this year as they were against Notre Dame. But I don't know necessarily that they're going to be as great as they were against an inferior opponent like Western Michigan. However, it's hard to not look back at what the Wolverines did on Saturday and not have a lot more optimism for this season and the difficult path that lays before them in the Big Ten. Because in games against inferior opponents last year, like Cincinnati, a game that was in doubt going into the second half, a game against Air Force, which Michigan didn't pull away until the fourth quarter, a game at Rutgers last year, where again, sloppy play by the Wolverines, keeping Rutgers in it late into the third quarter. The offense struggled in all those games. Three and outs, misconnecting on the deep ball, missed those open receiver routes, quarterback getting sacked. The optimism here is that that did not happen on Saturday. It didn't. And you look at it and you say, this team has done that in games against inferior opponents in the years past. They've either played down to the competition or they just flat out couldn't ball. And what they did on Saturday showed you that there is a team and there are players and there are athletes on this Michigan squad that can go out and they can get it done. And you look at some of the plays in particular. You know, you'll look at Karan Higdon's first uh, you know, scamper of the game. The offensive line making a great hole. He got his cut. He got through. I mean, any one of us could probably get through the hole that was made by that O-line and score a touchdown like Karan did. But then you look at Shea Patterson, the first touchdown pass of the game, a throw that really no Michigan quarterback was really able to make last year. Yeah, I mean, McKeon was open. Don't get me wrong. And he was able to turn uh, that pass uh, into a touchdown. But if it wasn't for Shea Patterson throwing the ball at the time that he did and putting it right where McCune could grab it, turn around and score the touchdown. That right there was the difference in quarterback play in this game and what we've seen out of Shea now versus what we saw out of the Michigan quarterbacks last year. And then, of course, you can't forget the awesome touchdown pass that Shea threw in the third quarter to Donovan Peoples-Jones. If you listen to uh, Dan Deardorff on the Michigan uh, play-by-play, they made a comment about, you know, out of a 1-10, to 10, what was the uh, difficulty of that throw? And he said it was 11. And it's hard to not disagree with Deardorff there. It was a beautiful pass by Shea Patterson. He found Peoples-Jones in the back of the end zone. A great throw. He put it there. Michigan scores. A great play. You're feeling optimistic about the offense. Defense, no rub the wrong way. No rub in any direction other than the fact that they were dominant. You look at highlights, you think, oh, well, Rashawn Gary didn't really get in the backfield as much as I thought he would. Did you see the dude was triple teamed? (laughs) That was one of the highlights I'm looking at. The guy was triple teamed, and he still was able to spark out and get the uh, running back and tackle him uh, once the uh, running back got through the line of scrimmage. So Michigan's defense was just dominant in that game. Loved everything we saw there. That was the defense we've uh, come to love. Don Brown, after watching the Amazon uh, series last year, a guy you want to run through a wall for, uh, the defense did just that on Saturday. Um, Really the only knock I can make on the game 
uh, was a special teams play uh, and obviously the field goal um, that was no good. Now we're just nitpicking, but certainly you don't like uh, missing field goals. You know, you like to build confidence with your field goal kickers. Quinn Nordine, of course, uh, missed a couple last year and then turned it back on. So hopefully that doesn't hang on his head in future games. Uh, but other than that, you really cannot knock what was a great dominant performance by the Wolverines. And no, we're not going to sit here and overreact, but they still have everything left in front of them, and they still have the ability to go out and win the Big Ten, and they did what they needed to do on Saturday. They beat an inferior team, and they flat out dominated them, and that's something, as Michigan fans, we can be happy about. All right, it's time to go around the Big Ten, where it was an up-and-down day on Saturday. If you follow me on Twitter, I said that half of the Big Ten was on upset alert on Saturday. I mentioned a couple teams that should be careful. I mentioned Northwestern, Nebraska, Iowa, Indiana, Minnesota, and Michigan State. Now, I also said in that post that I expected at least two of those teams would lose, and it was worse than that. Northwestern, Nebraska, Michigan State, those were three I had mentioned. And then Purdue. Purdue lost to EMU. My God, what the hell? Unbelievable. And, of course, Rutgers lost to Ohio State, too, but we expected that. I mean, we all pretty much know that at this point, a kindergarten class could probably beat the lowly Rutgers Knights. But there were some fun finishes. You know, Indiana staving off Virginia on their last drive of the game in a monsoon. Minnesota with an incredible interception in the end zone to seal the deal against Fresno State. Uh, Two teams that uh, were on upset alert in my mind, but uh, pulled it out for the Big Ten. Iowa, they knocked off their in-state rival, Iowa State, 13-3 in what I have to imagine was probably a close game, but I'm going to be honest, I'd rather get a root canal than watch that game. Maybe it wasn't close, who the hell knows, but I did not even want to watch a highlight of that game. I'd rather watch corn grow than check out those highlights. I was disappointed in Northwestern. You know, I really thought they'd knock off Duke. Shout out to my boy TJ Basala for winning some money for me on Saturday when he was adamant, adamant that Duke would beat the Wildcats. Uh, In fact, he was sitting a couple rows under me, and every time they flashed a score on the scoreboard, he had to yell out, Go Dukies, uh, to let me know uh, how happy he was that that was happening. I don't know. I guess I was just drinking the Pat Fitzgerald Kool-Aid. You know, the team looked great against Purdue in week one. I thought they had the revenge factor going into the game against Duke this year after losing on the road last year. Um, you know, they get them at home this past week, but not so much. Not not good for Northwestern going down um, to Duke. And, you know, I talked earlier in the podcast about overreacting. I talked about, you know, perceptions we have on teams. You know, we forget we're only two weeks into the season. And the perception just one week into the season was that Purdue was going to be a good team. So, you know, when Northwestern beats Purdue in week one, okay, that's a good game. Northwestern's going to be pretty good. But then Purdue, on Saturday, loses to our friends in Ypsilanti, Eastern Michigan. So now you look at it and say, okay, that Northwestern win over Purdue, eh, that's not really that exciting. That's really not that big of a win. So I guess I was a little uh, bullish on Northwestern. Uh, when probably I shouldn't have been. Maybe I should have been devilish and taken the Blue Devils uh, over Duke. Uh, Back to Purdue, though. Yikes. I mean, was there not a coach that had more hype going into this second season this year than Jeff Brom? Two weeks in, no wins. I mean, this guy may actually be a bit on the hot seat now. But hey, credit, of course, to uh, Eastern for winning the game. Always like to see our uh, directional schools uh, win some of those games when they're not playing the teams we care about. 
Uh, credit to Wisconsin for taking care of business on New Mexico. Man, that offensive line. Holy jeepers. Jonathan Taylor may very well win the Heisman this year. And if that dude does, he needs to cut like that thing up into five or six pieces and just give it to his O-line. Because those hog mollies up front can flat out block. I could probably run for 100 yards behind those guys. Just an incredible performance there uh, by Jonathan Taylor and, of course, uh, the Wisconsin Badgers. Uh, Other big wins, Ohio State. They dominate Rutgers, but I'm not giving Ohio more than five seconds of commentary on this pod. Screw that. Penn State. How about that? Another team that people completely overreacted on after they needed overtime to beat Appalachian State last week. Expected them to come out and make a statement against an in-state rival in Pittsburgh, and they did. No surprises in that game. Then, of course, my two favorite games of the day in the Big Ten. Unfortunately, two games that didn't go the Big Ten's way, but hey, we're not going to be too upset about that, right? We'll start with Nebraska and Colorado. What a game. I got to enjoy the second half of that game after heading back from the big house, and that game had basically all the dramatics you could think of. You had the debut of the new coach. The crowd was insane. The momentum changes. Colorado missing two field goal tries late in the game to take a lead. Nebraska, they can't convert on the fourth and one. They throw the interception on the next drive. Colorado, they get the ball back. They drive down and score. Just an awesome game. And I know it's not the debut that Scott Frost wanted, but I think he's going to get that team at Nebraska doing some good things down the road. You can tell that already the fans in Nebraska um, are buying into the Kool-Aid there. And uh, certainly a Big Ten is better when Nebraska plays better um, as a team that can uh, compete against Wisconsin in the West. Um, Not a real good look for the Big Ten losing to a Big 12 foe, but what a game. That was a lot of fun to watch. At least the second half was. Now I'm having a little brain fart. I said there were two favorite games of the day in the Big Ten, and I'm missing one. Who am I missing? Who could that be? Oh, that's right. Sparty! How could I forget Sparty? Michigan State. I am being sarcastic. In the desert, taking on Arizona State, coached by Herm. You play to win the game, Edwards. I said it all week. Watch out, Sparty. Sparty could be in trouble, and they were. What a frustrating game for Michigan State. Like, if you thought we were frustrated after losing to Notre Dame, imagine the frustration for Spartan fans two weeks in a row now when you barely escape Utah State, you play terrible in that game, and then you lose a game against Arizona State, really a team that you're much better than. But here's what happens. This is college football. You let teams hang in. You let the crowd get behind them. Bad things can happen. And the mistakes for Sparty, like you just don't see that typically on a D'Antonio coach team. The interception by Lewerke late in the game, the pass interference calls, bailing out Arizona State twice on the last drive of the game, that set up the field goal to win. Ring the alarm in East Lansing, folks. Sparty is overrated. But hey, credit to coach Herm Edwards too for winning that game. And by the way, a quick little coach from Edward story. That guy is a maniac, a straight up maniac. Like to play for that guy, I just could not imagine what that would be like. And my instances of working with Herm Edwards, Herm, um, as uh, you probably know, was on ESPN for a little while, big NFL commentator uh, for them. He came on SportsCenter a lot, did NFL Sunday and all that good stuff. Herm did a weekly spot on my ESPN radio station here in New York. 
And we'd have him on, and he was great. You know, he got the listeners all excited. He got my on-air hosts all excited. He's just that kind of guy, just that, you know, he commands a room, and he's just a crazy maniac. So we get to go down to Bristol, Connecticut, headquarters of uh, ESPN, and I get to meet him. And this guy is exactly what you'd expect. I mean, the hands flailing around, the high momentum. This is like a guy that probably you would think would drink like eight energy drinks, you know, in like an hour, because that's how he portrays himself. And the funny story I got out of the guy was uh, he would call Armin Williams, which shout out to my boy Armin, who's doing great things for uh, Denver Sports Radio uh, out in the middle of our great country. Uh, He would call up Armin at like 4.30 in the morning to talk about what the segment was going to be on our radio show. And, you know, Armin, he's a new dad. He's got, you know, the one kid. He's got the new baby. I mean, 4.30, you're sleeping. And when Armin would pick up the phone, Herm Edwards would berate him for like 10 minutes about how he couldn't believe that he wasn't up out of bed yet and how the day should end at midnight and start at 4.30 in the morning. So if you want to know what it's like for an Arizona State player to play for Coach Herm Edwards, there's a little story for you there. And I would expect he's going to get that team to get up and play most of the season. Just crazy stuff there. But credit to Arizona State. A great debut. Um, so far for Herm Edwards, they're 2-0 and um, and a big uh, whooping on Sparty. That's your Big Ten Week 2 recap. <laughs> All right, it's time to hand out some three, four, and five stars for this week. We'll start with three stars. The Stanford defense, dominant against USC. They get three stars from me. Check out this stat. Through two weeks, the Cardinal have given up only 13 points on defense. And you're probably thinking, oh, well, they played nobody in week one. San Diego State is no pushover group of five team who they beat in week one and then beating USC, a in-conference rival, this past week. That's pretty darn impressive. Four stars will go with the Georgia Bulldogs' entire roster of running backs. They get four stars from me. You know, I got to tell you, a lot of hype this week that they could be on upset alert at South Carolina. They flat out throttled the Gamecocks. Five running backs for Georgia Go for 271 yards of rushing. Georgia looking really good out of the gate. And five stars. Got to give five stars to Coach Mark Stoops and the Kentucky Wildcats. The streak is over. The Wildcats beat the Florida Gators in the swamp, a team they had lost to 31 games in a row. And it wasn't even close. Five stars, baby. Hell, I'd give you 31 if I had them, Coach. Great win for the Wildcats. And a little fun fact for you, the largest losing streak in the nation to a single opponent goes to Indiana, and it goes to them twice. Indiana has a pair of 22-game losing streaks, one to Ohio State, and of course, one to Michigan. Honorable mentions this week, they didn't make the cut, but got to... Got to give some love here. Jimbo Fisher, what a great game Texas A&M and Clemson was. The coach for A&M, they come out on a losing effort, but Fisher is the right dude for that job. He gets an honorable mention from me. I'll give one to Kansas, the Jayhawks. They win a road game. Nine-year road winning drought ends at Central Michigan. That's worthy of an honorable mention. And lastly, we'll give one to Clemson wide receiver T. Higgins. He gets an honorable mention for one of the best snags. You'll see a receiver grab with a defender all over him. And he turns it into a touchdown. Clemson comes out on top over A&M. Here we go. Let's answer some emails, shall we? Time to go to the mailbag. 
Hey, you can always email the podcast with your questions and I'll answer them right here. Email them to hail to the pod at gmail.com. All right, Dave from Rochester Hills writes, how does Michigan's schedule help or hurt them as it relates to the playoffs? All right, well, look, we're one and one. This season is super early, but I'll tell you this. Michigan still has everything to play for. You take care of business the rest of the way. You run the table in the Big Ten. It's hard to see a situation where the committee would leave them out. But again, it's super early. We got to take it week by week. But I'll tell you this. Michigan has the third hardest schedule this year based on last year's winning percentages of the teams they're playing this year. So if Michigan were to say run the table the rest of the way, finish 12-1, and one, that schedule certainly favors them against a team in, say, the Pac-12 or the Big 12 with that schedule that they play this year. And as much as we probably don't want to root for it, oh boy, and they almost blew it against Ball State last week. Can't believe I'm going to say this. But Notre Dame, we kind of want to have them have a good year. Having a 9 or 10 win season could certainly help make that opening week loss to them not sting as much when evaluated by the committee. But we see time in and time out each year of the playoff now that one loss teams have no problem getting in to the playoff. And if Michigan does what we need them to do and win out, then they can certainly control that destiny and uh, make it in the playoff. All right, next question. Tom from Southfield, Michigan, writes, Kevin, last year Michigan sent 11 guys to the NFL. Of those 11, who do you think will have the best year? I like it. little NFL question with a little Michigan flavor. What a great NFL draft, by the way, two years ago in 2017. 11 guys from Michigan getting drafted, most ever of any college. I tell you what. I think a lot of these guys can have solid years. I'd love to see Jabril Peppers have a great year at Cleveland. He gets those opportunities on the punt returns where he can be electric. Great to see Jake Butt healthy. Would love to see him get a lot of playing time in Denver this year. But if I was a betting man, I'd say the guy that will have the best year in the NFL this year will be Ben Gideon. The guy is a starter, and he's playing on one of the best defenses in the league in the Minnesota Vikings. So if you put me down right here and said you got to pick one, he's the guy I'd pick to have the best year out of the sophomore guys from Michigan. Great question. Love it. All right, Justin from Chicago writes, Kevin, those blue end zones, awesome, right? What do you think? Hell yeah, brother, I loved them. That's always been one of the joys to see Michigan play in a bowl game, you know? You talk about, you know, the bowl game atmosphere, the things you enjoy on a neutral site before and after the game. I've always loved the end zones. I've always enjoyed seeing that Michigan uh, in that maze script with the blue background, you know, I remember going to the Rose Bowl in 97, getting in my seat, looking at the blue end zone with the blue sideline, thinking, how cool is that? So I love that they brought the blue end zones to the big house. It looks great in person. And uh, if you watch the game on TV, I'm sure it looked pretty awesome on TV as well. Thank you for the questions and comments. You can always send those in. Email them to hailtothepod at gmail.com, and I'll be sure to mention them here on the show. Now it's time to go rapid fire. I'll give you my best bets for the week. I'll pick four games and make one of those my lock of the week. Uh, week one, not too bad. Two and two. Hit the lock of the week. I had Ole Miss uh, over Texas Tech as an underdog, which was good. And uh, last week, three and one, my underdog was a lock of the week as well. Arizona State uh, winning and beating Sparty. So here's the four games this week. Oklahoma, 17-point favorites at Iowa State. Look, I know it's dangerous to take a 17-point 
um, favorite on the road in a conference game. But Iowa State just lost their quarterback against Iowa. Oklahoma seeking revenge after losing at home to the Cyclones last year. Oklahoma's just been playing out of their world so far. I think the Boomer Sooners pile it on, get those style points. Give me Oklahoma to cover the large number. Let's go underdog. Georgia Tech at Pittsburgh. Pitt a four and a half point dog at home in an ACC battle. I think Pitt is the better team, and I think the point spread here is one that um, favors them. It's bigger than it probably should be because they did get throttled in bad weather against Penn State last week. I'll take Pitt as a four and a half point underdog in that game. Auburn and LSU. Auburn a nine and a half point favorite at home against LSU. Always dangerous to pick. Those SEC games early on in the season, but I think Auburn's pretty legit this year. I'm not too sold on LSU just yet. The home team in this series has covered five out of the last six. Now, the interesting point about that is that in those last five years, or six years, I should say, no team has been favored by more than a touchdown. But I'll take the nine and a half points here. I think Auburn wins this one handily. I think they win by double digits. Give me Auburn and the points. And my lock of the week, and I hate this after I told you earlier in the pod how we really kind of need them to impress a bit this year and get 9 or 10 wins, but hey, we just need them to win and not cover. I'm taking Vanderbilt as a juicy 14.5 point underdog at Notre Dame. I just don't know what kind of quarterback is Winbush this year. Is he going to be kind of that Denard Robinson where, you know, you got to keep him in the game because he makes explosive plays, but he also can cost you with some turnovers here and there. And certainly he's no Denard Robinson, uh, not to the level of athleticism that we saw out of Denard when he played for Michigan. But I just don't know what's going on with that Notre Dame offense right now. And I think Vanderbilt uh, is going to come in and play a really good game against the Irish. Vandy also is 9-4 and four against the spread as a double-digit road underdog in the last five years. Take it to the bank, my lock of the week. I will take Vanderbilt. Give me those 14 and a half points to that lovely underdog, the Commodores. Now for the game that matters most this weekend, Michigan at home versus the SMU Mustangs. Game kicks off at 3.30. That will be on Big Ten Network. Michigan a five-touchdown favorite in this one, and I guess for good reason, because on paper, this is a total mismatch that favors Michigan. And what a rough start for SMU this year. They're 0-2. They got a new head coach, Sonny Dykes, the former coach at Louisiana Tech and Cal. Their offense has looked terrible. SMU quarterback Ben Hicks just looked flat-out awful. He completed fewer than 50% of his passes uh, in the game against TCU the other day. And I know the weather was bad, but still, that's just not good. SMU not scoring a lot of points either. They've averaged 18 points per game over those first two games. A loss to North Texas, surprise, surprise, and to TCU. And then they've given up 44 points. They rank 111th in FBS football in yards per play, and they rank 83rd on defense. How bad is that defense? Well, when you give up 529 yards of offense to North Texas in the opening game of the year, you are not very good. So not looking like a very daunting opponent coming to the big house on Saturday, uh, which of course uh, is good for the Wolverines, an opportunity to continue to 
perform at a higher level and get ready for the uh, Big Ten Conference play to start with Nebraska coming to town. A couple of things I'm looking for in the game. You know, obviously want to continue to see the defense uh, dominate and play great ball. You know, limit the uh, penalties, force turnovers, all that stuff we're accustomed to Michigan defense doing. The offense, on the other hand, want to see a little more continued balance there. You know, Michigan really didn't have to throw the ball a lot against Western, but when they did, they did so well. So, you know, you certainly want to establish the ground attack, don't get me wrong, but it's good to see Patterson be able to drop back and hit his tight ends, hit his wide receivers. Want to see more of that passing play and the um, those passing plays, I should say, uh, in the game on Saturday. Is Michigan going to dominate SMU like they dominated Western Michigan? I'd like to think that SMU has a couple better athletes. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Is this the Michigan team of last week? that comes out and flat out dominates or is this the Michigan team of last year that you know maybe struggles out of the gate um, before they're able to pull away so hopefully we're seeing the former rather than the latter and of course I know I'm going to nitpick but how about a made field goal or two (laughs) I mean scoring touchdowns is great and I know I'm nitpicking but after missing a field goal last week I just feel like it'd be good for Quinn Nordine just to go out and make 100% of his field goals, even if he's just taking one field goal or two field goals on Saturday, it'd be good to see. And, and don't get me wrong, the guy is a flat-out baller. I don't think he needs the boost in confidence, but I'd like to see uh, Michigan be able to go out and make a field goal or two in the game on Saturday. Final score, I'll go with Michigan 41, SMU 10. That's the final. Of course, feel free to win 63 to nothing. I'd be very happy with that, as would all of you. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Hail to the Pod. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hit me up on Twitter at krich23. Email the show at hailtothepod at gmail.com. Enjoy the games this weekend. And as always, go blue. Go blue.